Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. Well, we've been talking on a series on the values that we have. Values are things that we put weight on. So in your life, uh, you may have a value that you only will get the best meat. So that means that you go to the most expensive butcher in the neighbourhood because perhaps you don't trust supermarket meat. I don't know, but we, it's interesting. Our values determine our feet in many different ways. Practical ways, but in spiritual ways as well. And so the values are the things that we hold important and values determine priorities. So the subject that I'm talking about today, some people have a higher value on that subject than others. And that determines the priority of how they spend their time during the week. So we've talked about our first value, which is praise and worship as a church, that we, the Father seeks worshippers who worship him in spirit and truth. And then uh, last time that I got, got to be able to preach, we talked again about some more of the values that we, that we have as a church. And this morning I want to talk about the value of prayer. And we've written it down like this, our third value. We will seek the face of God often and with humility. Often and with humility. Because, why? Because prayer moves the hand of God and it invades the impossible. Can you say amen to that? Prayer moves the hand of God and it invades the impossible. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes we can read the Bible and you can treat it like a fairy story or you can actually say to yourself, this actually happened. When Joshua prayed, the Bible says the whole globe stopped turning for a whole day. Isn't that amazing? He prayed one prayer. One man's prayer was literally able to stop the earth turning. That's incredible. That's amazing. Or I think of Elijah, who does his very best that his prayers will be seen to be answered only by a God who answers the impossible as he calls down fire from heaven on a sacrifice that's been soaked in water, where the opposition who served the, the God of Baal had their chance, they cut themselves with knives, they danced around their sacrifice and nothing happened. But when Elijah comes and prays, fire consumes the sacrifice from heaven. One man's prayer. He stood in the gap on behalf of a nation. And I think of the many other people in the, in the Bible, the New Testament, Peter and John. The Bible says, at the hour of prayer. What were they doing at the hour of prayer? They were going to pray. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I've had seasons in my life at the hour of prayer when I haven't turned up. Jesus is waiting for me, but I've been absent. <laughs> Hello? Anybody else been in that uh, boat before? <laughs> he waits for us every day. Some days we make it, some days we don't. 
But at the hour of prayer, Peter and John are on their way to a prayer meeting and they meet a man who's desperate. He's homeless and he's crippled. And he's sitting at the gate of the temple waiting to receive some money, like the many homeless that we see on the streets of Auckland. And his eyes lock on to the apostle Peter and Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have... I give to you. And he took him by the hand and he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And as he stood up, the bones in his legs received supernatural, miraculous provision. And next minute, the Bible says, he's walking, leaping and praising God. A man who's never been able to walk in his life can suddenly walk. Why? Because somebody was on their way to pray. I want to tell you how many miracles happen when we find and discover the place of prayer in our lives today. And that's what I want to talk about. There's a story about three men in a boat. They were sinking. The first man couldn't pray because he was an atheist. The second man couldn't think of a suitable prayer for a sinking boat. So he couldn't pray. The third man by this time is going, well, you two fellas are useless. And so he cries out and he says, God, please help us. I promise I'll never trouble you again. And God saves him. And right there in his statement is something that so many people battle with that they don't want to bother God too much with too many personal requests because they think they're hassling him. That's a wrong concept right there. And you'll find that when you discover the doorway to prayer, that you'll be in there and out of there all through the course of your day. The Bible says pray at all times with all kinds of prayer and supplication. How do you pray at all times? Or continuously, you're praying from your spirit. Continuously, in the car, wherever you are at work, whatever you're doing, your heart is communing with God. And you're praying at all times with all kinds of prayer in the spirit. And you've, you've, built a, you've built a lifeline. You've built a connection to God. You've built this, this uh, communication highway between you and the Lord where God's able to speak to you, where you're able to hear because you've trained your ear to hear. And we're going to discover this morning how you can do that in that place of prayer. So please bother God as often as you can. He's waiting for you every single day for you to come and meet. What's prayer? I just simply say this. Prayer is practicing the presence of God, not mastering the mechanics of how to come to God. So many times we in the West, we get caught up in all the mechanics. This is how you do it. Steps one, two, and three. Friends, what we've just got to do is get there. Don't get caught up in all the mechanics. Just make it into his presence and stay there as long as you can. And you'll find the more often that you do that, the more you realise that you can't go any day without practising his presence because it's become like a mantle and a garment that God wants to place across your shoulders. And when you don't have it and when you're not wearing it, you feel naked without it. That's what the place of prayer really feels like. I like Martin Luther. He said this, remember 1500s. And Martin Luther was the, the German monk who brought the Reformation. 
to Christianity that it wasn't high church or just certain people that could access God, but it was every believer if they simply came by faith in their hearts. And he said this about prayer. Just as the business of a tailor is to make clothing and that of the shoemaker is to mend shoes, so the business of the Christian is to pray. S.D. Gordon, who lived in the early 1900s, he wrote 36 books on prayer that were published over the course of his lifetime. And still now, people all over the world read his books. And I like what he said about prayer because it really puts a wholesome viewpoint on it. He said this, Prayer is striking the winning blow. Service is simply gathering up the results. Prayer is striking the winning blow, but service is simply gathering up the results. In other words, if you're not praying, there's no results. That's not a works-based gospel, but it's simply telling us that God, just as if I was to grab this iPad and drop it on the ground, it's not going to stay in the air because there's a law. There's a law that's in operation. It's called the law of gravity, which means it will fall. And there's a law that operates in the universe. It's called the law of prayer. And as we operate around that law of prayer, as we discover that law of prayer, we'll find that Martin Luther was absolutely correct with what he was saying. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says this, pray without ceasing. And please, I, I just, the Lord just said to me, uh, many people here are feeling convicted already about their prayer life. This message is not to bash you over the head about prayer. But you'll see at the end of this message, the Lord taught me a number of years ago some keys about how to get to the place of prayer. And every single thing that I'm going to teach you today, I've had to battle through in my own life to get there. And it came out of one simple verse that Jesus gave to me. Then he just opened my eyes to the whole thing. And uh, as a result of that, I could get there. You know, the thing about prayer is simply this, is that I could tell you all the promises in the Bible about prayer. I could tell you all the testimonies of how God has moved through my own personal prayers. And there's literally, I, I could tell you hundreds over 30 years of ministry, what God's done through the power of prayer. But at the end of the day, it's like riding a bike. I can instruct you on how you can mount and dismount. I can instruct you on how you can push on the pedals so that you don't fall over. I can instruct you on how to steer a bike, but until you get on the bike and actually try it for yourself, you're never going to learn how to ride a bike. And that's what prayer is all about. You know, prayer, it's one of those things that prayer is that we only get better by actually making it to the place of prayer. And I want to tell you how much of a battle it is for every single person to get to that place of prayer. You will find all, courts, all sorts of distractions. You will find all sorts of curveballs that are thrown your way, especially as you begin to discipline your life and come into a regular cycle of prayer. Then you'll discover that, that what the enemy will do, it's like in anything that he does, is that he will try and disrupt that cycle in your life to get you out of sync so that everything else around your life takes attention except for the place of prayer. He's really good at making us busy. He's really good at distracting us with issues. He's the master. He's been doing it for thousands of years. He's very, very good at it. The Bible says that the serpent in the garden was more cunning than any beast of the field. He knows your weaknesses and He knows how to stop you praying. He knows how to stop you accessing the uh, kingdom of God through prayer. So let's get ready this morning as we tackle this today.
You know, so many churches these days don't even have a prayer meeting. Because we've got our apps, we've got our smartphones, we've got our gadgets, we've got our technology, we don't need prayer. And so the church has become void of prayer. And when a church becomes void of prayer, it becomes void of power. You know, this morning as we're worshipping God, could you feel His power? Could you feel His presence in this place this morning? That's because every single week this church prays corporately together. We come to seek the face of the Father. We come to access God in prayer. We come to pray with fervency, with honesty, with authenticity in our hearts. We don't pray these flowery prayers to impress people. We pray prayers from the heart because we want to reach the heart of God. And we want to see the hand of God invading the impossible. And so to do that as a church, to pray as a church, we need to access Him through the place of prayer. We started a prayer meeting here. This church was started in in a prayer meeting. This church was started in prayer. Right from the first week we started this church, we incorporated a prayer meeting, and we haven't stopped that apart from school holidays at the end of the year. That's the only break we have because it doesn't matter if I'm away or anyone else is away. And you see, you see many churches, the senior pastor delegates prayer out to the prayer pastor. To me, that's a cop-out. If your senior pastor's not praying, then stuff can start happening in the church. And so I, I, for me, it's, I set the example by being there every Wednesday when I'm in town. Every single Wednesday I'm there to lead by example in that place of prayer. So let's just have a look at the role of prayer. And I wanna, what I want to simply do is I'm just going to simply take you through a real quick Bible study on this, on this whole thing so that you can actually you can access a truth here in Scripture this morning. The Acts 2 church... Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and he visited 120 believers who had taken Jesus at his word. They had honoured the word of God and he said, wait. Do you know how hard it is for us to understand that word? And yet the Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. But we're so busy, we're so used to running everywhere. We're so used to having to be here, do this, do that. And we've taken on a task-orientated lifestyle that's void of prayer. And the early 120 took Jesus' word seriously, so seriously, he didn't say what day he was going to turn up. So they just kept praying. They got together in the upper room. And first day, they got through the day, gee, are you going to come? You said that you're going to send the Holy Spirit. Day two, they get to the end of day two. They've prayed fervently all day. Smelly feet, bad body deodorant, the whole bit. They've gotten past all that stuff. Now they're into day three. And they can you imagine putting yourself literally into their shoes, how difficult it must have been for them to hold their course steady and to obey God and wait in that place until whatever it was, they didn't know what it was, was going to come. Jesus simply said, I'll give you the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. And so they pray for 10 days. And on the 10th day, Acts 2 verse 1, as they were in one accord, one heart, 
One mind, one purpose. Do you know what the power of unity is in a church? When we get one mind, one heart, one purpose, when we're gathered together to glorify His name, when we're gathered together for the purpose of expanding the kingdom of God and bringing glory and fame to the name of Jesus, this is what happens. Heaven opens and the power of the Holy Spirit came. And the Bible says tongues of fire came down upon each one. And they spoke in other tongues. There was a mighty rushing wind that swept through the place and the church was born in a prayer meeting. (laughs) And I want to tell you this morning, it didn't stop. Look at these verses of Scripture. Chapter 1, Acts 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Acts 2.42. The church has now been birthed. Pentecost has come. Now they're getting into a routine of life. Because the Bible says in this previous verse, it says, and daily, and daily, daily what? They continued steadfastly in, number one, the apostles' doctrine. Number two, fellowship. Number three, the breaking of bread. That's in both sharing meals and also the communion meal. And number four, and in prayers. Daily. They continued steadfastly. That word means unwavering. That means with direct purpose and application. They were unwavering in their devotion and steadfastness to the power of prayer. We talked about Acts 3, Peter and John going up to the temple to pray because there's a supernatural connection with prayer and the releasing of miracles. They're on their way to a prayer meeting And one of the first great miracles of the New Testament church takes place. And everybody knows. You know why? Isn't it amazing, God's wisdom? Everybody knew the homeless guy. Everybody knew the paralyzed guy. He was a a well-known identity. Do you know what it must have been like for everybody in the community when they saw this man walking, leaping, jumping and praising God? They're taking a second look. They're saying, is this the same guy? Man, he looks the same. But he can walk, he can jump, he can leap. (laughs) Wow, what happened to him? Acts 4, and when they had prayed, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God. We've had some prayer meetings in this church where exactly that has happened. We come to our prayer meetings, friends. We're not mamby-pamby prayers. We come and sock it to the devil. And we come in wholehearted, full worship every single Wednesday night when we gather together for prayer corporately as a body. And we just go hard before the throne of God. And we pray and we praise and we worship and we wait for revelation from heaven. Because he's the traffic director. He directs the traffic in the prayer meeting. I'm not going to come with my preset agenda and tell everybody how to pray. I want to be, have my finger on the pulse to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in any prayer meeting and let Him direct what's going to be prayed. Amen. That's the best kind of prayer, isn't it? When you're hearing what God is saying. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Look at Acts 10. Cornelius said, this is a real shift. He's a non-Jewish man. And he's learning how to pray. Remember, at this point, 
all of the apostles still haven't got it, the message of going into all the world. They think going into all the world is to preach to the Jews only. And this Roman soldier, look at the word. And Cornelius said four days ago about this hour, I was praying. What was he doing? In my house. You praying in your house? I was praying in my house at the ninth hour and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. He's praying. He's a non-Jew. He doesn't know too much about it, but he's got honesty and integrity and he wants, he wants to know what's going on. He's heard all the rumours, all the activity of the God stuff that's happening. And he's praying and God literally releases an angel from heaven to go and talk with him. Would you like to meet a man in bright clothing in your bedroom? <laughs> well, let me tell you the secret. While he was praying in his home, the man in bright clothing turned up. <laughs> Acts 12. Church prayer meeting. Church prayer meeting is happening. You know what's happened? Peter's got arrested again. Because he's got foot and mouth disease. Except this time, he's not, he's not saying, I deny that I know Jesus. This time, he's telling everybody about Jesus and he's getting into trouble. And so he's been arrested, thrown in jail. They hold, they hold a church prayer meeting, asking God for miraculous release. While they are praying, God sends an angel to the jail. And he sovereignly opens all the jail doors. And Peter's like, he's actually, the word says he, he's basically pinching himself because he thinks he's actually in a trance or a dream. He doesn't know this is real. How would you feel if you're in jail and all the doors suddenly open and you can, you're just walking out, you're, you're gone. You're gone. You, is this real? <laughs> so he gets out and he thinks, where shall I go? You know where he goes? He says, I know where I'll go. I'll go to where they have the prayer meeting. So he rocks up and knocks on the door. A young girl answers the door. She sees it's Peter. Remember, he's supposed to be in jail, but they've been praying for him to be in jail. But she can't believe that it's him. So she leaves him outside. She doesn't open the door. She comes back inside and she says, uh, the guy that we've been praying for, he's actually standing at the door. Nah, he can't be. He can't be. How much praying prayer did they actually have going on there? And Peter turns up. You see, time after time after time, prayer was central. And I say this, the Acts 2 church was the prototype church. Do you know what the prototype word prototype means? It means the first of its kind. If the prototype church was a church that knew the power of prayer and it was the set design and model for us all, How's our prayer? How's our prayer this morning? Why is prayer so hard for us at times? One of the reasons is because we live in a self-help society. So rather than go to someone else for help, we find that some of, some of you here today, you find it very difficult to ask people for help. You would rather just try and work it out quietly on your own. Because we've been trained in society particularly in our civilization, we've been trained, we'll just work it out rather than suffer the embarrassment of asking somebody else to help us. And that transfers over into our relationship with God. So we fail to, 
pray and call upon the name of the Lord, except when we're in major crises. Now, if you're the sort of person that's only going to God in major crises, then God wants to speak to you today. And He wants you to take a few small steps, and I'll explain how you can do that at the end of this message, to begin to break the crisis mentality that we only ever approach God when we're in major damage control, where something's going down that's out of our uh, control. You know, the Bible says in James 5, and I love this because the Bible makes it very, very clear in this situation that when Elijah prayed in the Old Testament and God called him specifically to pray for no rain. In the Middle East, when you don't get rain, you've got major issues that affect the whole of society. I'm on, uh, I'm on tank water. I'm on rainwater where I live now. So a few weeks back, remember how dry it's been? So I'm looking in my tank, and I'm getting real low. You know, you guys townies, you got town supply. <laughs> so I simply, I simply get the family together and say, we need to pray for rain. <laughs> well spoken. Yeah, could you just stop uh, for a little while, please, Lord? We just need to have some fine weather for a little bit. But you know what? The next day, I go down my driveway, and my neighbor has called in the water truck. And he's filling his tank. I said, oh, how much does that cost you? 170 bucks. And I said, oh, you don't think it's going to rain in the next couple of days? He said, can't afford to wait and find out. And uh, so... I went back home and I said, Nabe's getting water. He said, we've prayed. We're going to be okay. And his tank level was the same level as my tank level. He's got a family. He's got a family. Same level. Next day, what happens? Starts spitting. Starts raining. Starts pouring. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I don't have to part with my money. I just need to pray. Amen. Now, Elijah is sent because there's some wicked people in power. One man's got a wife, his, her name is Jezebel, and she's one wicked woman. And he says, I'm going to get their attention. No more rain. And the message gets back to King Ahab. Did you hear? The prophet Elijah, the prophet in Israel, has prayed. And he's prayed that there won't be any more rain except at his word. Now that's power. One man can hold a country to ransom through his prayer. Now what I want you to capture is this. Look at this. James chapter 5 verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another. That's important. And pray for one another that you may be healed. Listen to this. Why? Because the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. And then he gives the example of what we're just talking about. Here's the example. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly 
that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Here's the key for you to understand that it's not, he wasn't dressed in a Superman suit. He didn't possess Marvel Comics superpowers. He wasn't Spider-Man, Superman, or Batman. The Bible says he was a man just like you and me who possessed an ordinary sinful nature and yet when God called him to pray, it caused the whole of a nation to be stopped under the power of one man's prayer until he prayed for it to rain again. God has bound himself to work through the prayers of his children. And as we come to a conclusion in this message this morning, I want to draw your attention to the key that Jesus gave for all of us to understand about prayer. Matthew 26, verse 40 to 41. Then he came to the disciples. He found them sleeping. I've been known to sleepwalk. I know I've definitely been known to sleep snore. but I don't think I've sleep prayed. (laughs) That would be cool. I just pray while I'm asleep. The disciples were sleeping and he said to Peter, what? You like that tone? What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Jesus at his darkest moment of his life. He knows he's about to go to the cross. He knows the soldiers are on their way to get him. And the Bible says he literally sweated droplets of blood, which medical science has observed literally in a number of situations that only ever happened under intense, and I mean intense, super intense stress and pressure where people literally, instead of uh, sweating sweat and salt, they've sweated blood. Jesus is in this situation. He's praying that the cup of suffering would be taken from him. And he's saying, can you just stay over here, guys? Please pray with me as I'm going through this difficult time. He comes back, he finds them sleeping. Verse 40, here's the key, friends. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. You see, your spirit hungers for God. Every morning when, you're, when you wake up, your spirit man is sending out an echo inside your body that says, I've got to meet with the Father. I've got to, I've, I need to be fed with the Word of God. I'm becoming skinny and emaciated like a beafferent and famine-stricken Africa. My spirit is skinny and it's weak because you're not feeding it the presence of God. You're not allowing my spirit to come into contact with the Father through prayer. The spirit is willing. Your spirit's hungry for God. Your spirit's desirous for God. Your spirit yearns for the place, the secret place of the Most High God. But your flesh is weak. All of us in the same boat here. There's no superman, superwoman right here now. We all have the same nature as Elijah had. We're made of the same stuff, same blood flowing through our veins. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the Lord said to me, the Lord began to speak to me out of this verse. And he simply said, here's the key to prayer, James. Your spirit is willing, 
Your spirit is desirous. Your spirit is longing. And that's the funny feeling, James, that you get when you haven't been in prayer. That empty feeling. That feeling of frustration. That feeling of lack of connection with the Holy Spirit. That's what happens when you don't pray. And so here's a few pointers as we finish off this morning. Number one, our flesh is something that we're all going to have to deal with. The disciples went to sleep. Your flesh will run from prayer. Your flesh will run in opposition to your spirit. Galatians says that the spirit and the flesh are enemies of one another. They'll never agree. They'll always be in opposition to one another. But what you need to understand above all of that, even though your flesh is weak, your spirit is willing. It's ready to say yes and amen to God every day of your life. Romans 8 says this, Therefore, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, not to live according to the flesh. You don't owe your flesh anything. He says we're debtors. The word debtor means you owe somebody something. He said, you don't owe your flesh anything. Don't you allow yourself to be in debt to your flesh. But he says this, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. There you go, black and white. You want to know why your spiritual life may not be as vibrant as what it could be? It's because you have allowed your flesh mastery and lordship over your spirit. And as a result, every day you're dying a little bit more because your flesh hasn't had the opportunity to connect with the living God. I love the buts of the Bible. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Secondly, slothfulness. I know I'm not talking to anybody here this morning. Slothfulness. No excuses. We get too lazy to come and meet with God. Here's what the Bible says about slothfulness. Proverbs 19.15. Slothfulness casts one into a deep sleep, and the idle person shall suffer hunger. Proverbs 13 verse 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Do you know the difference between the diligent and the sluggard? One just talks about it, the other one does something about it. Number three, sleepiness. Giving priority to sleep over the top of prayer. I love Psalm chapter 5, verse 3. Listen to this. My voice you will hear in the morning. Oh Lord, in the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. Can I just give you a little tip that I found? When I came to the Lord, I was drug infested, drinking a lot of booze, nightclubs. My rhythm of my clock, my body clock, was one of an owl, not a rooster. What did that mean? That meant that I struggled every day to get to work on time. Every single day. And I just said, oh, well, I'm a night night owl. I'm not a rooster, up crowing early in the morning before the sun comes up. I want to tell you a secret, friends. You can train your body clock. Don't ever give in to the lie that you're one or the other. 
Currently, I, I, currently I rise at 4am every day. And I get real tired by the end of the day. Now at the moment I'm in that cycle because I have to, because I actually have to give one of my sons a ride to work. But you know what happens now? Day off. Don't have to take him anywhere. Guess what happens? I wake up, 3.59. You know why? Because you can train your body. And the psalmist said, Lord, in the morning, Lord, you will hear my voice as I cry out unto you. So don't allow that lie and allow sleep to rob you of being able to seek God first thing. I just think that there's so much in Scripture about first thing in the morning, setting your day right, getting in meeting with God. Even if you can only manage 10 or 15 minutes, it's better than nothing to get your day out there and underneath the Father's hand. Number four, busyness. If we're not praying, friends, we're busier than God intends us to be. Busyness will rob you. This is why the Bible says in Psalm 46, Be still and know that I am God. You know how hard it is to still your flesh? So much to do, so much on, so much happening. I struggle with this all the time. I know the demands that are on me. I know the people that I've got to meet. I know the schedule that I've got in my diary. And sometimes that urge that comes in my flesh to get busy and stay busy and leave God out of my schedule is so overwhelming that at times I give in to that. And when I give in to that, I'm robbed. My spirit is robbed. My relationship with God is robbed. My wife is robbed. My kids are robbed. My church is robbed. Because I can't lead unless I'm listening to the voice of the chief shepherd. And I can only do that if I'll be still and know that he is God. Lastly, unconfessed sin. We spoke a little bit about this at the beginning. And Elijah's uh, passage in James 5. Confess your sins one to another, your trespasses one to another, that you may be healed. And 1 John Chapter 1 verse 9 says this, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you know that when you confess your sins to God, it's not a revelation to Him? Did you know that? So when you confess what you've done wrong or something that's out of order in your life, It's not a revelation to God. He actually already knew about it. But the word confession means to agree with God. So what you're actually doing is you're owning up and you're agreeing with God about your current status before Him. And when you do that, the Bible says that the heavens will be opened. Listen to Isaiah 59 verse 2. But your iniquities have separated you from God and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not here. The good news, friends, is simply this today, is that God is sitting, waiting, and longing to connect with you. Wherever you've met him in the past, every day he's waiting for you to turn up. He's waiting for you to humble yourself. Because when you come to prayer, what you're actually saying is, Lord, I need you. You're actually saying, Lord, I can't run my life without you. 
So I've got to come and synchronize with you and I've got to come and connect with you in such a way that you can get through to me. So we've now got a two-way dialogue taking place in our lives. You know why? Because we've crucified the flesh and we've put to death our sleepiness, our busyness, our unconfessed sin. And we've put it on the altar and we've said, Lord, I'm not going to allow my flesh to owe me anything. I'm going to sow into the Spirit. And when you sow to the Spirit, the Bible says you reap a harvest of gigantic proportions. So the choice is ours. But can I urge you today, whatever it takes for you to make it to the throne room, be ruthless. Because your flesh is so cunning, it will trick you out of meeting with God. And this is, this is what Romans 8 says. If you give in to the cravings of your flesh, you will die. That doesn't mean in the natural, your body, but you'll die spiritually. You can't afford to die today. There's too many people relying on you and the call of God upon your life for you to stay in that stagnant place where you're not meeting with God. And I'm talking to a number of people here this morning. The Father wants your heart and the only time He can really get your heart is in the secret place of the Most High God. Hey, it's just rained. Let's let the rain of God's Spirit finish this meeting this morning. Let's just close our eyes for a moment and let's just focus on Jesus. We're going to do business with heaven this morning. I just want you to focus for a moment. God got you here this morning. And He got you here because He wants to make some changes in your life. You know the problem with a slow leak? You end up with a flat tyre. You know what happens when you get a flat tyre? You can't go anywhere. You're stuck. And the deception is this. It's not like a blowout where you get a massive nail that goes through your tyre and all of a sudden your tyre's just flat. A slow leak. You think you can carry on, but one day you get up to go to work and your tyre's completely flat. You can't go anywhere until you make a change. Change that tyre. So Father, I'm asking this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would captivate our hearts, Lord. I'm praying this morning, Lord, that we would get a fresh vision of Jesus. I'm praying this morning, Lord, that you would help us to be so ruthless with our flesh. I'm praying, Lord, that we would not stay in debt to our flesh one second longer than we need to. But with true repentance, changing our thinking, No longer allowing sluggardness and lethargy and laziness. Sometimes it's not that, Lord, it's the opposite. We're so busy, we're so out of control with our schedule. We just, we just can't find the handbrake. So I'm praying this morning, Lord, that all of those that are just so busy, help us to find the handbrake and be still and know that you are God. Help us, Lord, to take those small steps, 
setting our alarm clock 15 minutes earlier each day until we get enough time to actually be still and know you are God. Help us, Lord, to live the life of the diligent, not the sluggard. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. If you want to come into a place of agreement with God this morning and allow the Holy Spirit to bring change to the way you approach the throne of God, I'd like you to join with me in a prayer, please. If you could pray with me, I'm sure we can all pray this prayer this morning. There's none of us here that are Mother Teresa's that pray constantly day and night. There's always room for improvement for us. So if you would like to engage with the Lord through this prayer this morning, if you could pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me, Lord, for relying on my own strength, for allowing my flesh to get in the way between me and you. I don't want that any longer, Lord but I need your help today. I confess my inability, my waywardness, my straying heart that's left the place of prayer. I own it this morning, Lord, and I'm making a decision today to take back what the devil has stolen from me to restore my prayer life and to place you, Jesus, in the centre of it all. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Just allow the washing of the water of the Word to flow over you this morning. Holy Spirit, Just engage us in this moment. Thank you, Lord. This is your church, Jesus. You said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. It's going to take a praying church bust down the gates of hell. Father, I thank you for every home, every life, every family, every child represented here this morning. And I'm asking, Lord, with this sober reminder of prayer, change us, fashion us, Make us a living sacrifice. Help us to stay on the potter's wheel and not to crawl off the altar. I'm releasing a new season of prayer into your people's lives today, Lord. I'm releasing a new season of prayer over this church. 
Lord, by the power invested in me today, as Elijah prayed, I'm praying for showers of renewal and refreshment in the place of prayer. I'm releasing fresh faith to engage God in a new way. Lord, I'm releasing an open heaven over your people's lives this morning. And I'm releasing, Lord, a new love for prayer in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said, Amen today.